Bible with you this morning, you can turn to Romans chapter 7. As we continue through here. In 2 Peter 3.16, the Apostle Peter writes that there are things in Paul, or in Paul's writings, that are hard to understand. Peter said that about what Paul writes. And this may be one of those texts this morning that is harder to understand. But God gives us grace to think through these things in order that we might understand His Word. When Paul's writing raises questions in Romans, Paul answers them. And so what he tells us here, this might be the single most important practical thing for everyday life that we take from the book of Romans as a whole. Until we die, or Christ returns for us as believers, we are simultaneously just and sinners. Every believer. But our promised final deliverance through Jesus Christ. Let me pray and we'll look at this passage. Our Father, I ask that You would settle my heart and my mouth for this text. I pray, God, that every person in this room would hear Your Word this morning, God, that You would open it to us by Your Spirit. Please be with me. Be with all who have come. For the sake of Your name and our faith, we pray these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. So we'll start now where we left off last week. We're in verse 7. He says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? Again, that's what it might sound like Paul is saying in verses 1-6 through since the law aroused our sinful passions in verse 5. Remember, and acted towards us or the metaphor we were using as sort of an abusive husband when we were under it, under sin. And Paul says, by no means, in the middle of the verse, God forbid the evil in that relationship between us and the law we were breaking was not in the law. But that is the effect of the law on all humanity from Adam. Paul writes, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So with that word yet... It's clear that it is true, however, that the law is what makes the things we do sin. So law and sin are not equal by any means, but they are connected and need to be in our understanding. And then he gives an example here. He says, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. Now he is going to explain how this relationship between law and sin works in verse 8. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. In other words, sin is sin because law is law. Sin seizes the opportunity when it hears the commandment. An opportunity for what? For whom? Our flesh, our desires. I want to covet in this example. When my flesh knows it must not covet, my desires, which are dead set against God's law, want to covet, right? And you see this natural human instinct in very small children. If you say, don't touch that, what does their hand do, right? By saying it, you've awakened the little sinner in their dirty little tiny black heart, right? That's, that's what has happened. So sin as this force that controls my desires seizes the opportunity that's there to break God's law rather than obey it. That's what we do. And my flesh will always prove that it's more corrupt than even I can 
understand or fathom. Paul says the command, the command not to covet produces all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, though, sin lies dead as a power. If there's no law, there's nothing to break. But the fact that there is law and my flesh happens to be corrupted by sin, I don't listen to the law when I hear it. I break it in as many ways as I can come up with. We, we are very skilled at creating ways to be evil. That's what the flesh is like. We aren't morally neutral people as human beings. We're dead set against God. We're conceived like that. We want to rebel. And the law gives us the opportunity to do that precisely because it is God's perfect, good, and holy word. Verse 9, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Paul says, before Paul heard the law, he was in a sense alive. But when the law came, King Sin awoke in Paul. And the result is that Paul, like all of us, became a lawbreaker. But when the commandment came, in other words, when he heard the law, the result, notice here, even as a Jewish person, the Hebrew of Hebrews, was not that Paul then used his will to fight sin. That is not natural but that it killed him, the law killed him, because not only could he not obey it, he was discovering he didn't want to. This is sin. This is how it works. This is how powerful it is. We're all bent against God. We are crooked all the way down. All the way down. So verse 10, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. This is powerful, and we need to hear it. Paul is likely referring to the Scripture which teaches do this, obey the law perfectly and in every way, and you will live from Leviticus 18.5. That's a promise of life to everyone and anyone who perfectly obeys the law. And perfect obedience, make no mistake, is what doing the law, keeping the law means. So the law does promise life to the perfectly obedient. But since we're flesh, since we're this, captive to sin, and by nature God's enemies because of it, the commandment that promised life to us, if we actually keep it, kills us because we don't want to obey it and can't obey it in the standard that's required. Because of our sin then, because of our sin, our corruption, the law is a word from God that kills us. One commentator writes, where sin lives, law kills. Verse 11, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment. So there's that phrase again. We saw before in verse 8, this is how the relationship between law and sin works. We hear the law, what God's will is. Sin in us immediately says, I don't want to obey that. So in verses 10 and 11, sin deceived me, and through it, through the commandment, the law killed me. Sin deceives us by making us believe that giving into our flesh, giving into our desires, is what will give us life and make us happy and make us free, when in fact all sin does is take life from us, and condemn us. Verse 12, so, Paul says, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Right? That's the truth of God's Word. He's working on answering that objection back in verse 7. And what he says is this, the evil, the problem, is not in the law. God didn't create something evil or bad. The result of the law, our experience of the law, however, is not good. Because we are sinners. God created the law to reveal to us what we would not believe was true about us without it. 
we are sinners. Everyone. Sin is our master. We serve King Sin. We love King Sin. We worship King Sin. The law is not sin. The law is not evil. The law is God's Word. And as such is nothing but holy and righteous and good. The problem is us. We are the opposite. By nature of holy and righteous and good. And so to us, the law is a threat to what we think freedom actually is. Being able to pursue and give in to all of our desires without ever being checked or questioned. To us, it's a word then of accusation and condemnation. Paul continues in verse 13. Did that which is good then? So he's established that the law is good, right? Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. That's what we're going to do with it. Sin wants to multiply. This is how twisted and corrupted we are under the rule of King Sin in our flesh. The flesh will take God's Word that is meant for our life and our wholeness and twist it into a reason to kill us because we don't want to obey it. Sin isn't evil to us. Law is evil to us. Restraint, the the idea that something we want to do is wrong and not good and not praiseworthy, that's offensive. That's evil to us. The law that is holy and righteous and good is evil to us. But sin is what produced death in me by deceiving me into disobedience. This is how trapped we are. In our flesh, sin makes us think that by disobeying God's law, we'll be free. And since we're not neutral, but are ruled by a tyrant who wants to kill us, doing what King Sin tells us leads only to captivity and destruction. Sin has people thinking that's not true. That it's actually God's holy and righteous and good commandment that will destroy us, not our sin. Sin wants to rule us. Again, it wants to multiply until it produces our death. So we are our own worst enemies. The commandment reveals that our flesh is so fatally corrupted that rather than the law being an opportunity for us to have life and communion with God, it becomes an opportunity to increase those desires that are actually leading to our deaths. Just as Paul said, it wasn't just that he coveted every once in a while and so he had a problem, but that the sin in his flesh used the law against coveting to produce Not just an act of coveting every once in a while, but all kinds of covetousness. Sin reveals the predicament we're in. And the Bible says we are sinful beyond measure. Beyond measure. There's no limit to our sinfulness and to the power of our desires in the flesh. None. And since the law is holy, we recoil at it rather than submit to it and keep right on making the rope that is going to hang us. And we are completely incapable of solving this problem on our own. This is scary. Verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, and I am of the flesh, sold under sin. So there's a gap between what is spiritual and what is fleshly that makes properly discerning what is spiritual impossible to do in the flesh. This is why it's so important, by the way, starting here, that when you read and study the Bible, you make note of the tenses of verbs. 
I know that sounds silly and meaningless. Beloved, note the tenses of verbs. They are also inspired by the Lord God. Paul, if you remember in chapter 1, verse 1, what did he say he was? A servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. That's what he said he was, and he is in chapter 1, verse 1. And he says now in seven fourteen, I am of the flesh, sold under sin. He's both of those things. We are flesh. What, that's what we're in right now. That's what is all around us. We are flesh. We belong to this realm, to the earth, even as believers. The law is a spiritual word. It's not a natural word, a spiritual one that comes from heaven, given by God to Moses through the hands of angels. We are flesh, which means we are earthly and we're corrupted. There's a gap between these two things and they don't mix. In our bodies, we're helpless captives to king's sin, constant targets of temptation. So all the spiritual word from God that rules over and transcends this world does, when it hits us, is condemn us to death. Now, how does Paul know that's true? How can he say this? Why does he think this? Christians shouldn't talk this way. Right? We're overcomers, right? That's how we like to talk. Remember who you are and straighten your crown, right? You ever hear that nonsense? Why would he say this? Beloved, hear the Word of God. This is us. This is what it's like as a Christian in this world, in these mortal bodies, with corrupted flesh. Verse 15, 4. So here's how he knows that even though, as chapter 6 says, he's been baptized into Christ and set free from sin, there's still something wrong inside. Because he's also still in human flesh, and flesh is a slave to sin. I do not understand my own actions. Does that sound familiar? I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want. Something has changed in his wants now. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Paul can't stop sinning. Even though spiritually he's been baptized into Christ, raised with him from the grave, given new life, he still can't perfectly obey God's law, which is now, now that he's in Christ and has been brought to life, that's what he wants to do. Because Christ has given him his spirit. Verse 16, now if I do what I do not want, now if I do what I don't want, now if I sin, I agree with the law that it is good. So now that he has a new desire given to him by God to obey God's commandments rather than hate them, that's the new creation inside of him, his renewed mind. With that, he agrees with God that the law is good. It's not bad. It's not a threat to him. It is not the absence of sin that verifies a believer as a believer. But the hatred of it will be there. It will be there. Verse 17, So, because now when I do what I don't want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it but sin that dwells within me. What kind of talk is this, Paul? Is this a cop-out? It's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. No. Beloved Paul is acknowledging that he's two things at the same time. 
to diametrically oppose things. He, he is two ages in one body. New creation, baptized into Christ, raised to new life, a renewed mind, desiring to obey God and flesh at the same time. Having been baptized into Christ, God has made him a new creation. But since he's also still flesh, sin still dwells within him. Not in the new Paul, but in the old Paul that is still walking around, breathing oxygen every day. The dying Paul. Not the new creation Paul. But they're both Paul. Even believers will often sell ourselves back to sin as though we were still ruled by it. In our flesh now is this new creation, this renewed mind. And the result is civil war. 18.4, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Beloved, did you hear that? Nothing good, nothing good dwells in this. Nothing. My mortal body. Beloved, our salvation doesn't make our flesh good. That's not what has happened. My salvation is something God says about me and has done to me in spite of who I am through His Son, Jesus Christ, and His life, death, resurrection, ascension, and intercession for me. God declares that I'm now just, even though I'm still a sinner. That's why we have eternal life. Because of what God says and what God has done. For, so he says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For, how, so how does he know that? How does Paul know that there's nothing good in his flesh? I have the desire to do what is right. That's distinctly Christian. That's what's new in us that we didn't have before. A desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Woe to any Christian that thinks they're better than Paul. Why don't I have the ability to carry out my new desires? Because I'm also still flesh. So our flesh, even now, after our salvation, our flesh does not have the ability to obey God's, obey God's law now. We have a new desire that's alien to our flesh, put in us by the grace of God to obey Him, but we aren't always going to succeed. Paul is building a case here in this text, beloved, for why believers need deliverance still and will always in or from their flesh. That's what he's doing. As those who are simultaneously just and sinner, what is new about us in the flesh is that now we have a desire to obey God and glorify Him and please Him that we did not have before when we heard what He commands us. We have the desire to do what is right now, but we don't have the ability in the flesh to carry it out. So the flesh doesn't change. So be wary of those who tell you that the mark of being a Christian is that you'll be getting progressively better. No, you should have faith in God. You should have faith in God. And don't track your improvement process. Just don't. Don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. We have a new desire, beloved, not a new ability. 
the bedrock foundation of what we are now, what determines our destiny now is spiritual. Declared and accomplished for us by God in Christ. Not what we might become in our own strength. Strength is of the flesh. And it's not good for attaining or achieving or performing the righteousness that God requires. Four. So he's just building this argument. Verse 19. Four. I do not do the good that I want. How many times can he say it? But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, is this how a Christian talks, beloved? Yes. I don't do the good that I want. It's what I don't want that I keep doing. That's normal. That's biblical Christianity. There are those that will tell you the mark of a true Christian is the opposite of what this verse says. That if you keep struggling with sin, you might not be a believer. Lies. Beloved, from the pit of hell. Verse 20, now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. He circles back again to verse 17. That sin still dwells in me. Present tense. This is Paul the Apostle talking. He never switches to the metaphorical here. He never went back in time to talk about his past experience in the present tense. This is how it was before. It's how he is now. Right here, he's every Christian. How... How can it be more clear what the difference is between being in the flesh and in the spirit? When you're, when you're how he was before, sold or, or, when he was how he was before, he didn't have a desire to do the law. He had a desire to sin. This is the believer's experience because we're simultaneously just what God says we are and sinner what we have always been in our mortal bodies. The new creation in Christ in me wills to obey. The observable me is habitually sinful. We must rely on the Spirit then if we are to bear fruit for God, not the flesh. We want to obey God and please Him, but we keep on doing evil even though we don't want to. As long as we are in these bodies, we will ultimately be unable to completely subdue our fleshly desires. That's the reality. There's never a time when you will read Romans 7 and it won't be true about you. There's never a time Romans 7 isn't living as the Word of God for you and I. That's why Martin Luther would say that the Christian life is a life of repentance. Not because we're always guilty and condemned anymore, but because in our actual everyday experience, what we experience is that we aren't getting over the hump of sin. That's what we experience. That's what we live with. That's what feels real. We have faith in something that God has said is true of us and He's done to us. What we experience is that we are far from what God says we are in the flesh in everyday life. Now we know the right way to live and have the word we need from God and we still can't obey it perfectly. Now that we're His children, we don't want to sin and it's like we can't help ourselves. Oh, how we need God's mercy, beloved, as Christians. 
Because this is normal. This is normal. This is the everyday Christian's experience of being ruled now by Christ. He's in there and not sin. We are alive to what God would have us be and we can't reach it. And if you've been told that you should be getting progressively better over time or you might not be a Christian, again, you've been deceived and lied to. It's highly likely that you will be compared to what you were before. But who's keeping score? Paul came to the end of his life in 1 Timothy 3.15 calling himself the chief of sinners. That doesn't mean that's what he was. It does mean that's how he saw himself. This maddening tension that we live in as believers between flesh and spirit, that's the normal experience. You ever living as a believer and you have a temptation and you stop and think, how in the world did that happen? I thought I was a Christian. Where did that come from? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I think that? I thought I was born again. Beloved, if you have believed in Christ by grace through faith, you are. And that's still there. So what are we going to do? Are we going to honestly sell ourselves a rotten bill of goods that unless that goes away, I'm not a Christian? Or are we going to believe the plain words of the Bible? But it, it will feel like it won't feel. The normal experience is not going to like you feel more victorious all the time. The normal experience, and you say, well, you're being very pessimistic. No, I, I think, I, I, don't, I don't think I am. Right? The feeling most of the time will be, I want to whip sin, and I can't. And you don't use it to say, so forget it, I'll just keep sinning. No, 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 no. Right? Paul never goes there. I am not going there. But this is the experience. This is the reality. can't whip it yet and we won't doesn't mean you aren't a Christian verse 21 so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right evil lies close at hand right because it's in here it's me I'm the sinner I'm the problem it's my flesh I have this new desire from God I didn't have before to obey him and please him and yet when I feel the impulse to do what is right evil is right there Tempting me to give into my flesh and do what is wrong. What is going on in me? Why am I like that? That's normal. That's how a believer thinks. That's what we experience. And sure, the, what tempts us and draws us changes over time as we age and mature and all these things. But beloved, the struggle remains the same in all of us. Sin has been crouching at the door ready to kill us since Genesis 3. When our renewed mind wants to obey God, right next to it is this evil still wanting to disobey God. Believer, the pull we feel, the temptations we have are not evidence that we are not in Christ, but that we do have a new nature that desires obedience. And we can't give in to it completely. So we need to stay connected to Christ through the gospel by His Spirit. That's, that's the experience of believers. My flesh will never want to do good. Flesh doesn't do that. The spirit, the desire to do good is not coming from my flesh. It's coming from the new renewed mind inside of me that Christ gave to me by grace 
That's the Christian life, which is why our lives are lives of repentance. God turning us back time and time again by His grace through His Word, reminding us that we are His baptized child. Remember chapter 6, 22-4. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, in the new me. So, so much for those who say Paul is talking about his experience as an unbeliever. No unbeliever says verse 22. No unbeliever says that. I delight in the law of God, in the real me. The Bible has just, since verse 7, proved that unbelievers most certainly do not delight in the law of God, but hate the law of God. And when they hear it, they want to sin. And that's all they want to do. Verse 23. But, so I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, my members. So he's talking about what? My inner being, me, and my members, me. Not in this inner being, but in my mortal body. So I delight in the law of God in this new nature in me, but in my members, my body, another law, another absolute, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me captive still to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Sin still dwells in the baptized child of God. And every time we give in to temptation, we're not only reflecting that that's the case, we're choosing to be put back under another master. These are things Paul sees when he looks inside himself, when he tries to figure out why he can't finally put down sin, even though he's a Christian. Again, it's never that he doesn't desire to put it down and kill it. That's always there. What Paul is now recognizing or admitting or professing is that he can't do it. Yeah, that's a timely song. Don't stop believing. All right? But that is, this is the experience of the change of lordship. Remember, that's what's happening to us, beloved. Every day, we have a new Lord who reigns over us, commanding us to do His will, that sets us free and gives us life. And we have it in this and this doesn't want to obey until God gets us all the way home then we must live by faith not by sight sight will only let us see that there's something still wrong with us faith sees what God says is true about us in heaven the me that still sells itself to sin is not the living me that's not the new me The living me is the one buried with Christ in baptism, raised to new life, set free from sin. So you get this from Paul in verse 24. This is the big crescendo of what he's realizing about himself and writing, wretched man that I am, not that I was. I used to be like this, but God saved me. So now I'm like this. That's not a Christian's testimony. That's not real life. That's not real experience. The experience is, how in the world am I saved? I'm a wretch. Our testimony is, look, if, if I'm honest, I'm basically the same as I always was. I'm a wretched man. But God had mercy on me, so I have this new spiritual desire to obey Him. Sometimes I do. Often I don't. But I am His Because I've been baptized into Christ. That's the story. 
that makes our testimony about Jesus and not us. Paul prays as a Christian, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Because that's all this body is. God, I'm new in Christ. I believe in you. I want to follow you. I believe your word. And I keep sinning and I keep messing up. Who will deliver me from this? Paul, I I thought you were saved. He is. Believer, we are. But the new me right now is living in a body of death. To be a biblical Christian means that we live with the ache to be finally delivered from a war we're still fighting right now. There's no getting comfortable with sin for a believer. It's a war, and we feel it, and we hate it. Our hope for deliverance from this fight, however, is not in this war. It's in the future. It comes to me and will come to me by means of a promise, a spiritual one that is real and true outside of me, regardless of my struggles. We have not yet been delivered from these mortal bodies. Not yet. They are bodies of death, and they always will be. And this mortal body of death with its corrupted members, remember him talking in verse chapter 6 about our members, in that, in this, I'm still worthy of only condemnation. Praise God for the new. Praise Him for our salvation. Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is who will deliver us from this body of death. The same one that gave us the new. So then. So then. So here's the conclusion for the believer of this whole argument and discussion. So then, I myself, the real me, I serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh, I serve, present tense, actively, the law of Sin, the law that is waging war in his members, to not do right. Remember? There it is. That's it. That's our testimony. And this will never be untrue. We are simultaneously just and sinner as long as we're alive in these mortal bodies, beloved. We have a new desire in us, a spiritual one, alive in our minds by grace and faith to serve God and obey Him. Every believer has that. But with our flesh, here's the reality, we'll continue to be a sinner. In fact, we will often live like sin is still our master and we're enslaved to our flesh, but Christ is our deliverer. Through baptism in chapter 6, my flesh is just a zombie now. Oh, it wanders around. It's feral. Right? It wants to eat. It's a slave to its own desires, what you see in front of you. The me you can see is a wretch and a slave. But the me that I cannot see, the me I know is alive in my mind because of Christ, that me, He longs to serve and obey God. Therefore, By God's grace, the Christian will be delivered from the body of death. 
Paul is telling his naysayers in Rome here who say that his gospel has no power to get rid of sin. Right? That, that's how people insult the gospel of grace. You, you got you, you know, it, it's, people need more than that. You, um, it, you talk so pessimistically and, and Paul's telling the naysayers and say, look, your gospel isn't the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes it. The people that believe it are still sinning. And Paul says, you thought that the power of the gospel was revealed in the fact that Christians sin less than other people? You thought that was the power of the gospel? The power of the gospel is that you look like you always looked and you are mine. You're my child. I redeemed you by grace through faith. What can be seen about you is not what's real. What I say about you is true, is what's real. Sinning lessness is not the mark of a true Christian. That's what we want. That's what we desire. We want to mortify our flesh and kill it and stop sinning. That's what we want. But we can't. And if we deny that, we're denying the Bible. It's not a matter of our bad psychology. We can't do that, believer. That, that's not the hope the preacher can give you. That if you take these steps and do these things, you'll get better and your life will get better. I can't tell you that, beloved. Here's what I can tell you. This is how it's going to be. But it won't be like this forever. The mark of a true Christian is the acknowledgement that Christ has made me new and set me free, even though I still struggle with ongoing habitual sin. We need to live by a theology of the cross, beloved, not a theology of our own glory where all the focus is on ourselves. Don't have this false, unbiblical hope or expectation that you are now able to fulfill the works of the law perfectly in your current behavior. That will lead to despair and even doubt in believers who are weak in their morality and in their faith because there are believers who are very strong in their morality and in their faith. Right? There are Islamic people and Buddhist people that are very strong in their morality. You can achieve that in the flesh. You can't achieve the righteousness God commands of us in the flesh. Will not, cannot happen. To say otherwise is blasphemy. Why did Jesus die if it just took a little bit more elbow grease to be holy? It is the accuser. It's the accuser, beloved. It's the flesh that wishes you didn't serve Jesus because it wants to fulfill itself. It's the accuser telling you, whispering to you, that you're not a very good Christian, so you should bail. If you behave or think or even feel such a way or have certain temptations, what kind of Christian would have that temptation? Any Christian. It's not the Spirit telling you that what Jesus did is not sufficient for you. The Spirit testifies to Christ for us. To expect that since we're new in Christ, we'll be continually growing less and less susceptible to sin, that may be the case. It's a trap to bank on it and believe in it. It's a tragedy, but it's still true that every human being from Adam, even those that have been baptized into Christ, continually go back and fall into sin. Because to sin once is to say that it's your master. It's not like after ten sins, great, now you're under King Sin's dominion again. No, you sin once. You're guilty of condemnation. So what do we do about it? What do we 
do about it? Well, we could draw some imaginary lines and dumb down the law. Make rules that we can meet and then we'll feel more holy. That's the new, the common response. Yes, I still struggle with sin sometimes. You're right. But God knows we can't be perfect. He is glorified by my trying. He accepts our best efforts, even if they're imperfect. And He knows my heart, as though that's a good thing. That kind of thinking is still in the realm of law. Beloved, it's performance-based. Obedience, reliant, and dependent. And in the realm of the law, God requires doers, not triers. Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the demand of the law in one sentence. Absolute perfection. God will not wink His eye at sin. He never has. He never will. We need a Savior. We don't need an assistant to be righteous. We need to be killed and raised to new life in that sense every day. Not talking about us getting saved and baptized over and over again. That's not what I mean. I mean in our thinking, in our minds, because we don't understand why we're like this, we need to be killed and brought to life every single day. God justifies the ungodly. Nobody else. So for the ungodly in here this morning, like me, like me, who have nothing to boast about, and whose experience is all struggle with sin, and more often than we can stomach a losing one, let the message of Paul bring you great comfort this morning and always. Look, I don't preach for the little engine that could. You know this quote where I get it from. I preach for the train wreck who can't. That's all I have to give you. Because Paul says that's the way it is between being born again and our deliverance. Our sanctification, which God is doing in us, has begun with Christ's death and my baptism into Him, and it continues every moment I am alive as God daily, richly forgives my sins, and it will culminate in my deliverance one day from this old age and this rotten wretch body from indwelling sin, set free all its corrupting power when I see His face. Not before. So we walk by faith and not by sight. Until we die or Christ returns for us as believers, we are simultaneously just and sinner. But the promised final deliverance will come through Jesus Christ. This is the beautiful truth of which we cannot, must not lose sight, beloved. Jesus Christ will deliver us from these bodies. That is true for all who receive the gospel.